can we work together? The kingdom agenda goes forward. So the big, big idea is that we're supposed to be working together as a part of his kingdom. And that's what the lesson has been telling us is that we have to do certain things to be effective in his kingdom. It's one thing to be in a kingdom. It's another thing to be effective. It's one thing to be a sheriff. But it's another thing to have a gun with no bullets. <laughs> so it's one thing to be a part of the kingdom, but Satan's not scared of you he, because you're ineffective in the way you live. You are a non-factor. Uh, when I used to play basketball, we had this thing called self-check when you play street ball. That means that you're not good at it, so I don't even have to check you. You're going to miss the shot. Whether you, <laughs> so I don't even walk over there to you. You're just going to miss the shot. They'll look at somebody and they get in the head. They'll just say, self-check. In other words, I don't have to check you. you, you you're not a threat. And for many of us in the body of Christ, because we don't know the word, the enemy looks at us and says, self-check. I don't have to worry about you. You're not going to pray. <laughs> self-check. I don't have to worry about you. you you're not going to deal with your issues. You're not going to study. You're not going to do anything. You're not going to be faithful, those things. And so he'll self-check us. But this is Paul telling us that we should be of a, such of a mind that the enemy and the, and the powers of hell are horrified that we are part of the kingdom because we are there to give our lives as a living sacrifice, which is holy and acceptable uh, unto God. So if we give ourselves as a sacrificial offering, we should live that way, right? So how do we do that? And we're going to talk about, you can go to the next slide. Um, we're going to work, see how this works two ways. Paul talks to us about two things. Everybody say uh, micro, micro and macro. Those big words simply mean small and large in, in plain English. On a micro level, which means how do, we, how do I fit in the kingdom? How do I myself work on myself so I fit in the kingdom of God the way he wants me to fit? And then I have to realize that I'm not in the kingdom by my what? Self. So what can I do corporately among the body of believers to help and use my gifts and talents to be able to push the, the, the agenda of the kingdom? Which way? Forward, right? So uh, Romans 12, 1 and 2 says this, what? I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercy of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable God, which is your spiritual act of worship. We have been trained to think that worship is only when we raise our hands and the praise thing comes up and music comes on. But worship comes actually from an English word, worthship, W-O-R-T-H, which means that when I live my life, I'm saying, God, you're worth it. <laughs> so how I react to people, how I treat people at work, how I do that, I'm using my life so when they see my life, it doesn't point to me, it points to who? God. Can anybody give a scripture where, the, where, where you hear that? For let your what? Light shall what? Shine that men may see your what? Good works. And then who? Glorify your father who is in heaven. So would it be fair to say that the father is glorified by our sacrifice of our life? So let's ask ourselves a question. When we really assess how we live, how glorified is he? If we were to assess our lives right now, how we how we bridle our tongue, how we how we live our life, how we how nice we are, how pleasant we are, uh, how faithful we are to our families and uh, to our ministries and and to giving and living uh, and all those things. When we assess how much glory do we really give him? Because we like to talk about it. We have great service on Sunday. I love it when the power of God is coming in and it's moving. But how far does that power extend beyond these four what? 
So if we were to rate ourselves in the church and all that, what do you think personally? Let's look on a personal level. Is there anybody that's willing to rate themselves personally? Not, don't, don't tell yourself down because that's the next verse. But if you had to go on a scale of 1 to 10 about how you live your life and how much your life glorified God and how if people, and let me put it this way, if people looked at you, would they want to be close to God? If you rated your life, what number would you get? Since I saw that look on your face, Lamar, what, what's your number? He said he'd give himself a three. That's an honest answer, right? Lamarck is a, is a person that every pastor loves and looks for because he's what? What's that H word? Honest. <laughs> he's honest. He didn't give a church answer. He gave an answer that he knows where he is. And when you're honest with yourself and give an honest assessment, you can get to a different what? Level, right? So when we look at that, anybody else willing to rate themselves, be honest? Yeah. What do you think? Scale of one to ten. Uh, nine. Nine? Okay. Lathe, I believe that, uh, but <laughs> I honestly believe that. Uh, uh, um, um, Sister Pat, if you have to relate how, how well your life gives glory to God as far as how you relate with others, how you relate with your friends and your family and the people outside and work, and would God be glorified in the way you act and the way you treat them and talk to them, what, what number would you give? Seven? Okay, room to grow. Okay, good, very good. Um, faithfulness, how faithful you are to God, how faithful you are in your giving and your tithing and your church attendance. How would you rate yourself, Brother Ernie? Five, okay. Got another honest pastor. Oh, go ahead, Cherish. How would you rate yourself? You rate yourself a 10. That's good. Very good. That, that's, that's probably about the only 10 we're going to have tonight, but that's very good. <laughs> very, very good. You better than me. I, I, give, I give myself eight and a half most days. Some days it's a little less. But uh, <laughs> Brother Dave, what's yours? Paul said I judge not mine own self. So <laughs> That's a nice way to get out of it, Brother Dave. What's your number? <laughs> what's your real number, Brother Dave? <laughs> he ain't saying. He ain't telling. He ain't telling, but that. But, but that's an interesting thought, isn't it? How does our life give glory to God on the micro level? Oftentimes, we're trying to fix ourselves across Christendom in large churches. We're always talking about what the church needs to do, what our local church needs to do better, how the, how the, how, how the church in the na nation needs to do better, how the Western church or the Eastern Orthodox or Eastern church needs to do all those things. And we very rarely, seldom do we start talking about the bricks because we're the bricks of the church. <laughs> and if you want a strong church, a church is only as strong as as weak as what? So you ever seen those people that come to church and everything they got to say about their church is negative? <laughs> everything they got to say is pretty much a complaint or, or something about it. this isn't right or this isn't perfect or the music's not loud enough or the music is too loud. Uh, I, I, it perplexes me how people with hearing aids tell you the music is too loud. Cut your hearing aid off. But at the same time, that's, that's what we do, isn't it? We do stuff like that. I'm not, being, I'm not making fun of people with hearing aids, but we do do that. Isn't that ironic how we do stuff like that? Or, or this isn't right or the sermon isn't preached this way. And we never say, you know, I show up to church late every Sunday. Maybe if I was there, I could, I could, I could get the fire going a little bit more. I could be there for prayer. Or maybe if I, I spent some time in worship uh, on Sundays or during the week when they got there, the praise team wouldn't have to push me into worship. I could bring my own fire. I could bring fire with me. Do we do that often? We don't do it. That's a way to present your own bodies, micro, everybody say micro, as a living sacrifice, number one, holy, set apart, number two, acceptable uh, un, unto God. 
so we talked about that some last week. We're not going to belabor it, but I wanted you to see that. So number one, we have to go on a micro level. level. We're getting up to the questions in a second. Let's go to the next slide, please. Thank you so much. So um, we're going to be wholly acceptable to God. So let's read what it says in that scripture. What does it say? For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith God has assigned. Now, this is what I want you to get from this. This is good because we're hammering down on some things we covered last week. This is pretty much the summary from last week. What does that say in that bowl to the left? What does it say? If you overestimate yourself, you will underestimate someone else. And that's supposed to say else. Now, I want you to know that. Why? Because if you think you can do it all, if you think you're the only person holy in the building, you tend not to depend on anybody else. <laughs> you, you, you tend to think that the show won't go on without me. And so you don't leave space for anybody what? Else. You can overestimate yourself. We're going from micro to macro. Everybody say macro. Macro is how we deal with the body of Christ, how we all fit together to play a part. Once I fix myself, then I, I don't come to fix other people. They're supposed to be fixing themselves, and I'm seeing how I fit, how I play a part in the body. So if, we, uh, overest if you overestimate yourself, you will under uh, underestimate someone else's potential, that's supposed to say, and smother their what? Opportunities for growth in the kingdom. You ever had a manager like that? You can't, every time you get something wrong, they give you one time to get it wrong, and then they move you out the way and they do it themselves. But they're always mad and frustrated. They say, I can't find any good help. Why? Because they're always in the what? Way. Because just because they can't do it your way, you get mad and you push them out of the way. But if you don't ever allow them to make mistakes and grow, guess what you will forever be doing? That job. So it's important in the church that we have a culture of not do it myself, but we reach the lost and then we what? Teach the found. Discipleship, training. If you're a leader in the church, you shouldn't be thinking I'm going to be here forever. Every leader that comes into the church needs to be thinking about him going or her going out the door. I am training my replacement right now. Because there is some point in time I will be irrelevant in this position. I'll be relevant somewhere else in the kingdom, uh, but I won't be able to hold this position. Many churches are weak now because people wouldn't get out the what? way. <laughs> they figured I can do it. Nobody can do it like I can. And what happened was those people left and found other opportunities where people would let them what? Grow. And then they turn around and say, I can't see where everybody is. They're being utilized. So here's a question. Could it be that we try to wait till people perfect in the church before we try to use them? Could it be that we wait till they got all their I's crossed and their T's dotted, but we really don't have I's crossed and dotted? Could that be in the church? Or could the church at large be guilty of that? Have we, uh, so as we're learning and teaching and training and developing, we want to know that everybody that comes to the church will not look the same. We're go I'm going ahead of my lesson, so I'm not going to go there yet. So we stifle their growth. I like the way this came out when the Spirit gave it to me. If you overestimate yourself, you will underestimate someone else's potential and smother their opportunities for growth in the kingdom. You will both what? Extinguish their fire and burn your what? Self out. That's why people burn out. It's five people trying to do everything. I know you can do it well, but only do your highest and best use. Do what only you can do. 
Yeah, I, I, I got a few carpenter skills and a little electronic skills, but you know what? I'm, I'm better at preaching in Austin than Brother Bob. <laughs> so why don't I get out of the way and let them do that back there <laughs> and let them build the stuff that they can build? You see what I'm saying? Brother Bob thinking to himself, I don't know, Pastor. I think I can preach a little bit better than you. <laughs> but it, that's how the church should be. We should learn how to work together and, and learn how to get out of each other's what? Way. We're here to have a culture. That's one of our core values in our church worldwide is leadership development. We should always be trying to develop one another and make each other uh, uh, better. What's that last lesson learned? What does it say? Be good at being what God has designed you to be. Be good at celebrating and nurturing those qualities in others. Now, let me ask you a question. We're going to rate ourselves again. Who will be honest? I need some honest people. How good do you think you are at developing people? Because we want the church to grow. We need the church to grow. The church is growing. Uh, Sundays are big. I hope I hope uh, hope a Bible study will be just as big as Sunday. But if you had to rate yourself on Brother Bob, who's the next deacon behind you? About a seven. Let me ask you a question. I'm not putting you on the spot, but you did it to yourself. All right. <laughs> Who who's the next deacon in line behind you? Who's the deacon and trainer? Right now, I don't have anybody. Is he not a deacon and trainer? How much time have you spent showing him how to be a deacon? I'm not going to make you answer that question. You, I'm not going to put you on the spot like that. Oh, that's great. But that's... Okay, so that could be some place where you can what? Grow. Show him how to get where you are. Help with biblical knowledge and things like that. That's a way for encouragement. Um... Sometimes we have older people in the church. When's the last time you pulled over a younger person and said, hey, I, I see you're not praying in church, and I don't know. It may be because you don't know how to pray. What if I showed you how? If I spent some time, would you mind me being your prayer partner? Ways we can help pull one another what? Up. I saw a hand. Whose hand just raised? Whose hand just raised? Did somebody just raise a hand? Okay, maybe I didn't. Oh, Brother Bob. Go ahead. Use the, use the mic too. Help him use the mic because there are people out on, on, in, in the audience. How do you go about? Yes, sir. How do you go, uh, go about to help somebody like you mentioned, Brother Mark, without uh, saying, well, listen, as a deacon, do you know where I'm going with this? Yeah, I get, I get you. How do you do that? You create a culture. Everybody say culture. It's a culture. It's a culture of training. Uh, when I came and when we first came before COVID, we talk about every leader needs a Joshua. So in our culture, we have a culture of training. We're working right now on some deacons training manuals and things like that or some deacon training things I've gotten from other people and resources to sit down with the two of you guys and say, hey, this is the path forward you need to take. Brother Bob, walk alongside him while he walks that way to make sure he gets where he's going. That That's the way uh, is to create a culture together. We have to create a culture. You Whatever in, in biology, they have what's called a culture. That's where they grow stuff, where you grow bacteria and stuff like that. Things grow in your culture. If you see something in your church that you don't like, it's a part of your what? Culture. And if it's a part of your culture, it's not just you can't blame the church because guess who else is a part of the culture? 
So if people come to your church and they don't do that here, people are fairly friendly and they say, well, that church is not friendly. Uh, I came in and I was new and nobody spoke to me. You would say that's a part of the what? Culture. Now, before you blame everybody else, have I spoke to that person? Did I make an intentional effort to speak to every visitor I see? Something to think about, huh? All right, let's keep going. Let's go to the next slide because we are going to get to the questions. Uh, so once we've gotten past that bridge and we've gotten from micro to macro, we need to know, Paul says, how to work in unity. And we talked about that last week. And I'm not going to go too much in the, into this, but I do need you to get an idea of where the church needs to stand. What's that first word say? Unity, right? What's the, what's the definition for unity? Read that out loud. The state of being joined as a whole. All right. There's another word there. What's that word? Uniform. All right. So let's see what that says. Remaining the same in all cases and at all times, unchanging in form and character. Now, when the church uses the, the word unity, which one do we really which one do we really mean? Uniform. We mean uniform, don't we? Why, why, why do we mean uniform? Be honest. Grab the mic and say what you got to say. Hand him the mic. That's it. It requires complete control to have uniformity. So when we look in the church, would, it, would everybody agree with that, Brother Dave, that most times in church culture, we expect people to be uniform and not uni unified? That, that's a safe bet, right? So uniform and unified. Let me, let me show you how this works. I don't know if this thing is tuned. But there are a bunch of pieces on this guitar, right? Bunch of pieces on this. Is this uniform or unified? Some people say uniform. Some people say unified. I would say this. It can only be uniform if all the pieces are exactly the same. So I ask you again, is it uniform? It's unified. Because all these pieces are completely different. Some of these strings are bigger than, this, than the other. Some pieces of the wood are bigger than the other. I'm not a guitarist, but here's the thing. Although all of them are different, if you learn to put them all right in the same spot, they make music. See that? But if you try to treat them all the same, you see that? See how, how we can do sometimes in the church? What God wants is harmony in the church. He wants different vessels looking different, acting different, and sounding what? Different. So some people use big words like your post said. Some people, some people use small words. Some people have college degrees. Some people have no degrees. Some people got barely degrees, barely graduated. Some, some people don't even have GED. Some people have blue-collar experience. Some people got white-collar experience. Some people know what investments are, and some people, when you talk about securities, they think about security guards. I've told people that. They say, what do you do? I say, I'm in securities. They say, oh, oh, so you guard people. No, no not those type of security. Every Everybody, everybody's different. Everybody has a different world. But most times in churches, we, people feel pressure because what have we tried to do in the church past? We try to make everybody look the what? Same. Act the what? Same. You can't get on the stage unless you look just like what? Us. 
That's why I like our praise team, because they're different ages and stages, and everybody looks completely what? Different. So no matter who you are when you come in here, if you got tats, there's somebody up here with tats and rings and piercings. If, if you're middle-aged, there's somebody up here that's middle-aged and try to dress cool, that'll be me. I ain't going to put you on the spot. If, if, you, like, if you like dresses, if, if you like dresses in an old-school church, there's somebody that wears dresses and things like that. There's somebody for everybody. We are letting you know you don't have to fit a certain model to be welcome here. But when all of us get together, what do you hear? That's what you hear. That's what you hear. You hear harmony. So that's a good question for us in the church. And that's something that we can learn. Sometimes the church is losing its power because we're trying to make people act and look like us. Go ahead, Brother Bob. Are you saying that we could be unified without being uniform? That's it. You got it. We can be unified without being uniform. I have a certain way that I like to do business. I, I've done some accounting. I've got a master's in business and all that stuff. We have just newly created a, a, a stewardship committee, and those people are excellent and experts at what they do. So guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to give them directions. Then I'm going to mind my business. <laughs> Give them an objective and then let them do it and show me what they can do and how they can do it the best way they can because there's more than one way to what? Do something. Everybody has different what? Gifts. And just because you can do it well doesn't mean with some practice somebody else couldn't do it what? Better. Now, we should be unified, but Paul is talking about unity too of a message. He's given a particular message. Go to the next slide because this is what we're trying to do. We're not just trying to be unified for unity's sake. We're trying to be unified for a message. Go to the next slide, please. All right. Now, if we go into it, we're going into our questions now. This gets to Romans 12, 6 through 8, because it gets into giftings. Each one of us have a unique gift. And when we put all those gifts together, the kingdom is edified. Everybody say edified. What does that mean? The kingdom is built up. The kingdom is built up, which means that when people come in here and they're down and they come in and they might not know Jesus and they see us working together and somebody's over there, um, uh, uh, somebody's over there getting some things done um, and, and doing all sorts of other things. You might want to check the uh, stream. Somebody just texted me and told me they were having trouble with the stream, but maybe their phone, though. But at the same time, um, when we do that, the church is what? Stronger. So if our church is weak in any point, it may be fine. If not, don't, don't bother with it. But if our church is weak at any point, we need to ask, there is no such thing as a bench warmer in the church. If you're sitting down in church and you're only, I'm just going to be honest, if your only thing that you do in church every week is come sit in a pew, go to the service, get up and leave and go get something to eat, you're out of order. God didn't call you to do that. There are no retirement plans and pensions in the kingdom. You're faithful unto what? You don't get to say, well, I worked 50 years in the church and I'm doing good, so now I'm going to step back. No, that's not how it works. You are derelict in your duty. And this is an army. And what do they do to desert us? They shoot them. <laughs> now, we don't, now we don't shoot people in the church. <laughs> But if you are not finding what you are called to do, you are some way making your church stronger or weaker. Weaker. Go ahead. Kind of like the military. Yeah. You go in there to learn some basic things, keep yourself alive and your brothers alive. And then if you go through that, you're commanded 
what you have a specialty in or what God can use you in or what your military position is. Mm-hmm. The main job is all learning from basics. Mm-hmm. Good, good. That, that's it. That's the exact thing. And we're going to get into, we only had two questions that we didn't finish. So I went back and went through some things and we're going to go, I'm going to read this in the NIV and then we're going to pull up. You guys can be ready in the back to pull up 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 4 verses 1 through 2. If you'll pull that up, there may be absolutely nothing wrong with stream guys. Sometimes that's other things. If there is, it's okay. Uh, we'll, we'll be okay. It's recording. We can send it back out. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 4 verses 1 through 2. 1 Corinthians 4 1 through 2. It says this. What does it say? This is how one should regard us. Now stop. I'm going to teach you how to study the Bible. We just read the whole thing and just stop. The first thing is a thought. That, that's an entire thought. Thought. This is how people should view us. Now, he's talking about him and Apollos and Peter and other people. But when we transpose that to us, we're saying this is how who should be viewed. Us. Everybody said me. This is how people should view us. What do they say? As what? Servants of Christ. One translation of that Greek word is assistance. In other words, that's why God created Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve were to partner with God and work out and rule on the earth just like he ruled in what? Heaven. It's everything you he wish for. Your site traffic is... With them and partnership. That's why we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on what? Earth as it is in heaven. How is it worked out? He is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we could ever ask or think according to the power of what? That works where? And us. So God is using us and, and working through willing That's vessels. Why we pray that um, sometimes grudgingly will be done with willing vessels earth to create His work in the earth, and that's to get out the mystery. Thereby said, mystery abundantly. We're stewards of the mystery. What, what, what is a mystery? Can somebody tell me what a mystery is? What would Paul be talking about? To create His work in the earth, and that's to get out. What do you think he'd be talking about? Pull up that uh, slide again, that, that last slide for me, and I'll, I'll, I'll let you in on it. Uh, that word in the Greek is mysterion, uh, the last one. Everybody say mysterion. Mysterion, this is, I like the way it worded it this way. It means secret or purpose, but this is one of the, one of the study uh, guides I use, and it helped uh, this way. I like the way to put it. Let's read what it says. The secret purpose of God in his dealings with man the spirit reveals in a way that is beyond what? Human wisdom. In other words, a lot of people try to get close to God by head knowledge, and you'll never get close to God by head knowledge. You get close to God by heart knowledge, that the spirit speaks to your heart. That's why you have a lot of churches. They got a lot of word, but they dead on the inside. They have word, but they have no what? Spirit. You got to have both word and spirit. The letter killeth, but the spirit what? Gives what? Life. So he's saying, I'm letting you in on the mysteries of God. In other words, the Paul tells us that the things of God are spiritually discerned. In other words, there are things that are in the earth that only we can see if God, what, reveals them to us. So that we see people doing all sorts of crazy things in the world and media and politics and culture. And we say, can't they see the obvious truth? No. <laughs> Why? Because the Bible says the God of this, what, world has, what? blinded their eyes. 
they are spiritually blind. They don't know how wicked they are. They think they're fine. And that's what we find out in Romans chapter 1, isn't it? That they've gone so far that God turned them over to a reprobate what? Mind. To the point where their mind thinks down is up and up is down. They're like the twilight zone. They think they're okay. Woe unto those who call good evil and evil what? Good. They are blinded. They have submitted themselves to the sinful nature and allowed the enemy to make them blind. So now the stuff that used to be good is bad. (laughs) When I called a man a man and a woman a woman, that used to be good, but now it's what? Bad. Because the God of this world has blinded their eyes. (laughs) That's why. That's just one example. When I used to say, when we used to say a husband and a wife and a nuclear family and everybody and people did better in a, in a nuclear family, which is still the truth, that was a good thing. But now people say that's what? Bad. Because the God of this world has what? Blinded their eyes. Pull that slide back up. So we're here to bring the mysteries of Christ out because these people literally cannot see it. It seems elementary to you, but it is foreign to them. And that's why we get bored in the church because we keep stay all our time and here talking to one another. And we get bored because everybody here already knows it. No, go out into all the nations and preach the gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then what? Teaching them, not the ones that are right in here but the ones that are out there you're revealing and stewards of the mysteries of God it is for you to take deep spiritual revelation and open that up to other people and as they open up their hearts to Christ you can open up something to them just like Paul like the like the guy that was on the side of the road when Stephen came he said understand it thou what thou readest he said how can I understand unless somebody who understands what shows me well prove it to me again in the word pastor I sure will well, people should just be able to read the Bible and, and get saved. How shall they hear without a what? Preacher. And how shall he preach unless he be what? Sent. In other words, he's sent and he's a steward or an assistant with God. I am partnering with God and I'm telling you what he said in his word in heaven and I am proclaiming it as a prophet in the earth. And when I do that, I'm taking forth the mysteries of God. So those who are hidden, if their heart is palpable, the Bible can go in and permeate their heart and enter Introduce them from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. That we are stewards of the mysteries of God. In other words, if you know the word of God and you sitting on it, shame on you. If you keep saying the church going to grow one day and you're not sharing Christ with anybody, it's not the church's fault. It's not the pastor's fault. It's not the praise team's fault. You have been entrusted with the mysteries of God and you are keeping it to yourself. That's why. Thank you, Holy Ghost. Who that clock so disrespectful? <laughs> But this is why he said he went on a journey and he left some a few talents and some five and some ten. And he came back to all of them and said, were you faithful with what I gave you? Can I trust you with my resources? Will you take my resources and multiply them? He was not talking about money. I know a lot of people try to take that word talent and, and talk about money because a talent is a, user, you, um, is, is a unit of money. But what he is saying is I have something valuable 
that I'm entrusting with you. And one day I'm going to come back and I'm going to see what did you do with what I gave you? Did you sit down when I gave you the one talent and you only had 15 people in your church and say, because I don't have 10,000, I won't study this week. I won't go into my communities and spread the gospel. It's enough for these few people. But every time you get invited to a church with 500 people, you studying like you John MacArthur and coming out trying to know everything and you mistreat the people of God, God is going to hold you in account because if you'll be faithful over a few things, he will make you ruler over much. He is building you up to build up the world. He's not building you up to sit in here and look at one another. He's building each one of us up to reach the lost, to teach the found, and change the world. So we are stewards of the mystery. God has entrusted you with something. And what is that? That's the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, the saving knowledge of God, the power of the Holy Ghost. I ask you a question. When the last time you prayed for somebody to get saved or prayed for somebody for the baptism of the Holy Ghost? I'm not talking about your family members that have told you they're not getting saved. I'm, I'm talking about somebody on the side of the corner when you say, excuse me, do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? Why? Because it's dead to him. He can't see it. You are the steward of the mystery. And this is it, that if the gospel be foolish, it's foolish to those who are what? Perishing. You are stewards of the mystery. So because he's entrusted you with it, he entrusts you with it to be what? Faithful. Everybody say faithful. Now, what's that word faithful mean? It means, and this is from the Faith Life Study Bible, but it's a Greek word. Everybody said pistos. Pistos means, everybody read it with me, reliable, trustworthy. In other words, if I leave it with you, will I be sad I left it with you when I get back? That's the Willie Berry nice version. If I leave you $5 and I come back and you still got 5 would I be disappointed? If I was trying to save humanity and I told you the gospel and you got saved and nobody around you is saved, do you think I'm going to be pleased or angry with you when I get back? If God gives you the gift of the gospel and nobody in your, in your school gets saved, do you think he's going to be pleased with you when you get back? If he gives you the gospel and you know you got kin folks that need to be saved and you just say, well, they ain't going to never change. Do you think that he's going to be pleased with you when he gets back? Why do you keep saying when he gets back? Let's read what the, the second part, the B part of that. It says faithful here. I, I want to see that. I want to give that to you in a second. It says faithful here. Being faithful means imparting the truth which the spirit reveals without tainting it with the wisdom of people. Don't put your own stuff in there. Just tell the unadulterated gospel. If anybody, even be an angel of heaven, comes and says anything other than I first said to you, let them be a curse. We're not trying to give the gospel and we don't go Jesus plus like Disney plus. We go Jesus only. <laughs> I know we Pentecostal, but that's not Jesus plus speaking in tongues. If you speak in tongues, God bless you, but you're still saved if you don't. Here's the thing. We don't, not Jesus plus you got to get baptized in this name. Jesus only. We can't add stuff to the word of God. He said that if thou should confess with thy mouth and believe in thy heart the Lord Jesus, make Jesus the Lord of your life, thou shalt be saved. There were no other conditions. 
That's all he wants us to give to them. We are stewards. He's entrusted us with that. So here comes question number 16. Uh, Y'all thought I forgot. We only had two questions, so I took my time getting to it. Here it is. What is our responsibility in using our gifts when we look at that? What is our responsibility? We already read 1 Corinthians 4 and 2. Pull it up again. What is our responsibility? What is God looking for us to be? Trustworthy. That we be stewards, trustworthy. What's the F word? The one for the night. Faithful. Be careful. Faithful. There we go. <laughs> Some of us ain't been saved as long. I had to, had to make sure. I <laughs> Here's the thing. That we be what? Faithful. What have you done since you've been saved? Let's ask yourself a question. Since you have been saved, who been here saved more than two years? Who, who in here has been saved more than two years? Five years. Six years. Twenty years. Thirty years. Forty years. Okay, I'm going to stop because somebody's going to throw something at me. So we, got, we still got hands up after 40 years. How many people have you led to Christ in 40 years? How faithful have you been as stewards of the mystery? In two years, that's 730 days or something like that. My math's a little off, but over 700 days, if you've been saved two years, you have been saved over 700 days. If I gave somebody, uh, if I gave somebody uh, some money and told them to take care of my investment and I came back 700 days later and they still only had what I entrusted to them, would they... Would, that, would I be pleased with them? Th- that parable looks a little different than Jesus told now, doesn't it? <laughs> now, you see why he tells the servant, you wicked and slothful and lazy servant. You my servant because I was already paying you. You already getting benefits for me. I gave you benefits to grow and give to everybody else, and you only cared about your... Lord Jesus... The time is out for selfish church. The time is out for church when I get mine, and that's it. That's why we come every other week or every two weeks, and we come to church when we get ready, and we got every other excuse not to come to church. You're not coming to church for yourself. You're coming to church to get a deposit so when the master comes back, you got some word, and you can say, what I got on Sunday, I gave out to somebody on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday. So I took what I was given, and I blessed it, and I broke it, and I multiplied it, and when the Father comes, comes back, he's pleased with me. You don't have to be Reinhardt Bunky. You don't have to be Billy Graham to bring millions to Christ. All you have to do is open up your mouth. For God said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. You don't have to set up a huge crusade now. You can now get on the internet and reach thousands of people at a time. There is no excuse for the gospel to not be preached to all the world. Am I faith? Somebody say, am I faithful? So we answered that question. What's our responsibility? That's our responsibility to be what? Faithful. All right. So we're going to move on. 
We're going to move on to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13, because the next question says this. According, and you can comment at any time. Stop me when you get ready. According to Ephesians 4, 11 through 13, what, for what purpose does God have spiritual gifts? What does it say? Now, and he gave what? Apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. Stop. Now, I know some sects said there sects or, or groups said they're no longer any apostles. Well, there are no apostles like the 12. Those are those are the ones that were sent. But uh, the word apostolos is used many times in the in the New Testament. And it's referring to other people other than the 12 apostles. Apostolos means messenger or to be sent It's a church planner. Somebody like we would call a modern day what missionary, somebody who's there to 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 do things in God. And I'm, I'm going to read you something. If, if I got it down, if I wrote it, I don't know if I looked that up. Uh, well, I looked it up, but I don't know if I still have it up. I want you to hear what these people are. And, uh, well, we'll go back to that in the study because we'll be all night on that because uh, that's, that's good and that's rich. But he gave them all. That's the, what we call the five-fold ministry. God gave all of these people with all these gifts. Now you're starting to see where the lesson is going. We've talked about unity. Everybody has a different purpose. Everybody has a different gift. And he says he gave the what? Apostles, the prophets, evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. In other words, if everybody's stepping on everybody's toes, fighting for the same job, that means somebody ain't doing their job. That's why churches have church spats sometimes, because everybody in there trying to fight to see who gets on stage. Elder ain't good enough for you. Minister ain't good enough for you. Now you pastor no longer good for, for you. Now you got to be bishop. Now you got to be apostle. Now you got to be prophet. Now you got to be master prophet. Now you got to be super prophet and all this, uh, all this other foolishness. Why? Because you worried about what you look like to people instead of your function to God. Stop looking to be called it and be it. You want to be called apostle? That's great. Go plant churches. Oversee people. Build up. You want to be called a prophet? Be ready to have stones thrown at you because the prophet is somebody who does not just foretelling. That's what we look for. We're looking for prophecy. We were looking for somebody to tell us we're coming into some money and, and stuff because we hadn't handled our finances. We haven't been good stewards, so we want people to come in and, uh, and, and just lay their hands on our head and have an unexpected check. I got a prophecy for you. Go get a job, and in two weeks you're going to come into some money. Thus, thus saith Pastor Bear. There you go. <laughs> Live on less than what you make and stop, stop spending every dime you get. Get a budget and prosperity will follow. <laughs> Sometimes we get over spiritual <laughs> and we go right over the practical. <laughs> so here's the thing. He's got people set up that oversee churches. He got people that are prophets that speak truth. He's got people that are evangelists uh, like uh, Pastor Whitehill, uh, Pastor Whitehill's husband, uh, Elder Whitehill. He, that man is he's got the gift of evangelism on him. Everywhere I go with him, he's witnesses to somebody. He's not scared of anybody. He'll walk up. You could be nine feet tall with tats from top to top to the bottom and a tongue ring here. You could have a pinky ring stuck through the middle of your pinky, and he'll say, hey, how you doing? Have you made Jesus the Lord of your life? <laughs> and I'll be like, you're going to get us killed. Well, we're going to heaven anyway. You want to go with us? Well, you kill us. That's how he is. He loves God. He's got the gift of evangelism, but all of us can be evangelists. But he's done this, and he's done it for a reason. What reason has he done it? What purpose does God give us spiritual gifts, Liz? What, what, what's the reason he gives it to us? So we can, so 
so we may use our gifts to build what? One another up. There's somebody depleted in the church. Everybody say there's somebody depleted. Everybody didn't say it. We all got to say this today. There's somebody depleted because I'm not doing my job. God has a calling on your life and you're not walking in it. And, it's not, and somebody's missing that gift in you. Each one of us is important. Church is spiritual, but the church also has a financial component. We're not going to sit here and need help and have accountants in the building. <laughs> Spirit-filled accountants and not use them. Good business managers, self-titled, whatever, but good at what they do. We need those things. And if we don't, when our church suffers, that's why the church needs consistency. It's time for us as a church to have standards. And to require more of our people, especially of our leaders. Now, we've, we have a millennial generation, the millennial generation, which I'm a part of, I'll be honest. We, we feel like we can show up every other Sunday or two or three. No, you can't be trusted like that. There are some people in the past I would use, but I can't use because I don't know whether or not you're going to show up tomorrow. And we can't show up on Sunday and have a, a vital part needed, and you just forgot, oh, I got to do this and I got to do that. It's amazing. You got seven days to do everything, but everything always pop up on what? Can't trust you. For the people in the pew, that's fine, but in leadership, it's a little bit different. So be careful. Before any man comes to leadership, especially here, count up the what? Cost. We were talking last night. If, how do I become a leader? If one thing, you got to be a tither here. That means 10% of your gross income. Well, what about people in the pew? They can do whatever they want to do. <laughs> but if you're going to be a leader, you're going to lead by example. You're going to be faithful. Your life is going to be exemplary. Well, why don't I have to do it? They didn't ask to be a leader. I don't, I don't know if I can do that. Well, you should have said no. <laughs> because whom, to whom much is given, much is what? That's what leadership is. That's the mantle. Nobody makes you do it, but if you want that, that's what's what? Required. Just like God. God doesn't require that we be saved, but after we are, then he said that you have to present your what? Body as a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable, and you have to be faithful. And he says, what does he do? To equip the saints for the what? Work of ministry. It never says so people can come in here and get their shundo. Older people say, what does that mean? That's another word for getting here and, and just dance around while the music is going on. And leave tired and feel like something happened and you ain't got no word and you still just as lost as you was when you walked in the building. We had a good time. My life still jacked up. Praise scene was amazing. The lights were going. All these things were good. I got a great word, but I don't know how to apply it to my life. You just spinning your wheels and wasting your time. Because when you get to a real part where the people of the God are trying to build up, you should be in a place that when I leave that place, I feel like I'm better when I walk out the door than when I came in. And not just because I've been entertained, but because I've been edified. And that's different. We have to teach edification over entertainment in the church nowadays. Because we have churches that are big on entertainment. You can't tell the difference between them and a football game. We went to our first NFL football game. One of the members blessed us. And we got to go, Robin and I. And I looked around in that place. And I said, huh, 
This seems just like church, a modern-day church. All they were doing is keeping people distracted and happy. Everybody from all different cultures showing up, they don't like each other. It's amazing how you got to have friends at church, but somehow when you show up, you can show up to every game with season tickets, pay somebody to come and don't know nobody there. Ain't that amazing? I said, how do they do that? Nobody nice to you. Matter of fact, somebody spilled beer on you and then somebody you have to get up 15 times because somebody came across the aisle and you sitting at the end. And if somebody sit too close to you at church, I ain't coming back. And in my mind, I was like, how are they doing this? How do you convince people that that uh, that are. That, that don't know each other, don't even care if the person next to them care about them, show up in the same place, chill for the same call, spend their hard-earned money and get absolutely nothing to show for it except dirty sneakers, a bad back, and to watch a team lose. And that's all you get. And not only do you pay for it once, you buy season tickets to show up every week to do it over and over again. Hours of your life that you will never get back. Robin and I had a good time. You know why? Because they have a good what time they've been entertained but they leave the same way they oh oh, oh, Jesus we went a place the other night and I watched the same thing take place most people wouldn't notice it, but I'm a musician. Musicians know everything. Musicians know how to build up a service. You can make people fall out and all sorts of stuff. And I was watching the musicians as I was there. They wasn't into what they were saying, but they were excellent at what they were doing. And people were good, and some people were jumping and dancing and entertaining. And I was just sitting there looking. And I, when we were in the other room, I was feeling the presence of God, this little young fella. He wasn't even, it was just him by himself. And I could feel the presence of God. He was sincere. He wasn't the best musician in the play, but people had their hands raised. Everybody else, when I went in there, I started looking at people and just looking at the habits and mannerisms. Most of them people didn't care. They were in a tank because the room was dark and the lights were on and the music made you emotional. You felt, I felt God. No, you felt the same thing you feel at a concert. That's what you felt. And people keep coming back because they keep giving me what I need. I just look right over the bad doctrine they sliding in. I just look right over all that other stuff. Why? Because they make me feel good. I'm entertained, but I'm not edified. And although that church had everything I wanted to work for, we had just got out of a knockdown service that morning. And although I really did enjoy myself, don't get me wrong, I did, I, I did enjoy myself. I was glad I went, but I saw so many trappings that we've used because they know they might have the gospel, but they realize the only way we can keep a big crowd is we got to keep them in a... Go ahead. Edify means to build up. It means to... Uh, if I, I'm building you up, I'm making you better. I'm, I'm growing for the edification of the saints. I'm not knocking that church. I actually like that church. I may actually go back, but I saw so many elements of entertainment, and I want you to know that they wouldn't spend all that money on entertainment if I'm, I'm pretty sure they're genuine in what they do. But why do they spend that money on the entertainment? Number one, because they have it, and two, they know they can't get those people unless they do it. Nothing wrong with it. I'm not against it. We have some of it here. You probably have more one day when the Finance and Stewardship Committee does their job. <laughs> the newly appointed Finance and Stewardship Committee. But we don't want it to the point where people are just getting entertained and not being edified. Because when you start edifying, people start leaving. It's one thing to sit in the stands and say the line up. It's another thing for the coach to come off the sidelines and say, you talking about us, but you can't fit in that seat because you're too big. <laughs> Ooh, 
I didn't pay my money to get insulted. <laughs> but ain't that how we do at church? Yeah. I didn't pay my money to get you in my business. I just go over here with a dude tells me I believe by faith and I can get whatever I want. And everything in the world is about me. How dare you tell me I'm a sinner and I need Jesus? Do we see any do we see any parallels here? Is this helping anybody tonight? So he's put them there for the go ahead, Brother Ernie. Pastor Ernie. He agreed. He says, to equip the saints for ministry, for the building up of the body of what? Christ. This is uncomfortable for some people to hear because this means that most of our modern day churches have turned into social clubs. And some of them are well-meaning social clubs. Those people are sincere. There are people in every one of those buildings, I believe, that are saved, spirit-filled, some of them, and love God and have a good purpose in mind, but they're having to spend money they shouldn't have to spend because to entertain people that shouldn't be entertained. For Jesus. <laughs> Until we all what? Attain, that's that word again, the what? Unity of faith. Not the uniformity, not to everybody wear the same hairstyle. I get nervous when I go to church and everybody, every woman in the no makeup and got the hair in the same, I'm like, I'm not comfortable. <laughs> everybody got the same hairstyle, dressed the exact same, seemed like everybody shopped at the same place, got the exact same coat, the exact same shoe. You can't get up on the pulpit until the podium unless you look this exact same way. Can't get in the podium unless you got on the tie. That's great if you want to do that, but that's uniform. That's not unity. Yeah. Everybody look alike, but nobody getting along. But you're comfortable because the person next to you look like you. But God wants us to know that kingdom work is messy. Kingdom work means getting the people that you'd be scared to see in the dark alley down the street and praying for them. That we don't all look the same or think the same or talk the same. But we are until we all attain the unity of what? Faith, that central message that Jesus Christ came in the form of human flesh and he bridged the gap between God and man by dying for our sin. That's the central message. And I'm, I, once again, I don't want people to think I'm attacking big churches. I love big churches. I had a good time the other night. I was entertained. But at the same time, sorry, sorry, I couldn't help myself. <laughs> but I did feel the presence of God some too. But at the same time, here's the deal. I, I, it's good to have both, and there's nothing wrong with that. I don't want you to get the idea and be one of those old cogity people. These churches with their lights and their smoke, and I want you to know if we had the money, we'd probably have it too. But that's not what it's supposed to be focused on. Don't give all that and nothing. When I came up, they used to have this thing called hooping, and the preacher would get up and he'd say nothing for 45 minutes, and everybody would be asleep looking at their phones. And they say, in the Lord, all right. And everybody say, yeah, they get up, they say, oh, this time now. And everybody just jump and shout while he sings this sermon for 45 minutes. They jump up and down and say, man, he sure preached. You say, what he preached about? I don't know. Because <laughs> he preached cliches for the last 15 minutes of the sun. He may not come when you want him, but he's always on time. God is good all the time and all the time. Yeah, some of y'all been to that church. You know what? There you go. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that either, as long as you're saying something. But we have to get to the point where we're all built up into the unity of faith and of the what? Knowledge of the Son of God. If somebody in your church is ignorant of the, of the knowledge of the Son of God and they're not where they need to be in Christ, none of us are doing our job. Because that should be us. We should be able to pull people who are weaker alongside us and say, come on, let me teach you. 
I know you're embarrassed to tell the pastor, but I, I noticed you're struggling during Bible study. I'm going to give a few extra minutes of my, of my life for an extra hour on another day. Come, let's sit down together. Let's go get lunch, and we'll open up this Bible together. You may not be able to catch it all once in a Bible study, but we'll get it together. I notice that when prayer comes or when worship's coming, you seem kind of foreign and you standing there frozen. Why don't we spend some worship time together? Ladies with ladies and guys with guys, but at the same time, why don't we go and spend some worship time together? Turn on some worship music somewhere at the park or whatever and worship together so worship becomes natural to you. So you don't need the praise team to pump you and prime you. Oh, wow. Thank you, Holy Ghost. Until we all come attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to the what? Mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That means forever, because we will forever be learning. There's always going to be room to learn. And just when you think you got that, God going to send somebody else in the door. If you're a healthy church and doing what you need to do, you know what God does? When I was young, there was this hospital called Madison General. I shouldn't call the name, but they're closed now. <laughs> Madison General was that hospital. I'm pretty sure y'all got one in Detroit that if you got sick, you said, take me anywhere else. <laughs> but Madison General, somebody just said sign out up here. Yeah. So y'all got a Madison General too. <laughs> but if you really love somebody and you wanted them healed, whether it was the best looking place or not, you would send them to that place because that's where you knew if I sent them there, the building in this new, they don't have as much money, but the doctors are good and they're going to leave better than they came. I'd rather send you to a raggedy hospital where the doctors are good than send you to one with all the top technology and you wake up dead. <laughs> Why don't we do that for the church? Why are most of the conversations among pastors and churches now, I got to make my sanctuary look palatable to everybody. I got to take out my chairs, all of us too, my chairs and my pews and paint the sanctuary and turn the lights down and get the best praise team and pay the best worship leaders and all those things. Why are we doing that? We're doing that because, and here's the thing, I'm going to be honest with you, a lot of the bigger churches sometimes are Madison General. They look nice. A lot of our bigger ministries sometimes can be a Madison Journal. Now, once again, I'm not against big ministries. I don't want somebody to mishear that. I, I'm all for it. The first church had 3,000 souls come to it. If you can have a big church and love God, by all means, do it. But could it be that some of our churches are Madison General? And we're wondering why God won't send people to us. Is because he doesn't want to send his wounded to Madison General. Am I the type of Christian, where God will send somebody in so I can minister to them? Are we the type of church where God will send his wounded? When you go to the hospital, you know how I know when the hospital is good? When they go into triage and nobody's walking around. I know it's bad because I'm the pastor. I visit every hospital. And there's some hospitals I won't call because I'm on Facebook and I ain't there. Y'all not going to sue me. But I know people there aren't getting help because I walk up and the receptionist is there on the phone and I stand there and it's two or three minutes before they even speak to me. <laughs> I watched one man sit in pain, crying and heaving. And the lady never moved. She become so immune to it. They just, he just heaving there. I said, ma'am, he's in pain. Oh, somebody coming for him. I was like, geez, I'm hurting from listening to him. You just act like you're immune to this man hurting. 
But the top hospitals, you notice a, a central thing. Even if they don't got room, they make room. They, ain't, they don't have room in the rooms up there. They'll push people out and put people in the hallways, do whatever they have to. And people are moving and doing what they need to do. But that's the same thing that happens when a sinner come in and everybody in the church sitting in the same spot. People come in with their with they head hung down and you never move. You don't even know they attended the service that day. They crying over in the corner. Nobody walks to pray for them. Nobody even says, how you doing? Because you're too busy trying to figure out what we're going to eat after service. You can't say amen. Why would God send somebody to that hospital? Well, people are only concerned about what they can get for them. The good time they can have and the fellowship they can get for themselves. This is a hospital for the sick. That's why we lock the doors now before service. I want you to fellowship. Fellowship is a very vital part of service. I'm over my time. But I want you to fellowship down in the fellowship hall. This is the hospital. And when people come in the sanctuary, I want people saturating it with prayer. So the things that have happened this past three Sundays will only intensify. We have a young lady. I don't think she'll mind me telling it. She's been back and forth with God and been back and forth in this sanctuary forever and running in and out of the church and running back and forth and, and, and to the point of hating God so much and hating the church so much that say, I don't want nothing else to do with the church. I don't want nothing to do with you. I don't want anything else to do with God. But what happened here Sunday, even though she fought it, she walked down this aisle and don't you know this week she's given her life to Jesus. For real this time, she said. That's what. And I'm so, and I'm so proud of her. I'm proud. Um, and, and not only am I proud of her, I'm proud of you. Because I disrupted the normal flow of service. Everybody liked to talk. I know everybody was like, why he shutting the door? I've been here 30 years. Why can't I come in when I get ready? What is he doing? Because I have to obey God. And when you obey God, because God's let me know that there's some things that the ordinary just won't do. There are some strongholds that people are going to come in here with that lights and smoke won't fix. It'll be all right at the big church we were at because most people that were there were pastors and other people. They already say it's hard, it's easy to get a fire started when everybody already on fire. But there's going to be people coming in here that is wet and wet down just like they were when Elijah came. And the only thing that will ignite, ignite them is the fire of God. Good music won't do it. Good praise team won't do it. Skinny jeans and nice clothes won't do it. Growth tracks won't do it. Small groups won't do it. The only thing that will do it is the fire of the Holy Ghost. That's what I seek. That's what God is doing here. And that's why I'm over time. <laughs> Hallelujah. Go ahead, Brother Bob. Mm-hmm. 
I want to, I want, I feel led by the Spirit to do this. I know not everybody's here, but I want you to repeat after me. I want to be the hospital that God recommends. I want to be the staff worker that he recommends. The staff worker. I want to be the nurse, the spiritual nurse, a doctor, or a spiritual CNA that he recommends. I want to be the person that God says, you can trust Mark because Mark's been where you've been. I'm sending them here because you have something unique to this ministry. Every ministry has a purpose. Not all ministries are the same. And that's one of the major mistakes of most ministries. We try to be everything to everybody. I am not called to everybody. I am not everybody's pastor. Not everybody's going to sit up under me because I make people mad because I tell the truth too much. I already know that. That's fine. <laughs> I'm good with that. But there are some people that got hard stuff in them that the ordinary won't break off. And they need somebody to tell them the hard truth. That's the voice that God has given me. I tell the hard truths in a loving way, but I'm, that's why you notice certain type of people coming. Is he sending them here because you're doing what you need to do? Or is he sending them to another hospital because all the workers aren't ready? Because the harvest is plentiful. Somebody finish that. But the labor is a few. Get yourself ready for what God's about to do in this ministry. Not just in these four walls, but when this ministry leaves these four walls. Get yourself ready for how God's going to use you. And I don't care if you're 7 or 75 or 97. God can still use you if you're willing to be used. Amen. For the edification of the saints. For the upbuilding of his ministry. Are there any questions? Are there any comments? If this has blessed you tonight, give God a hand clap of praise. We're getting ready to leave. So we have, a, have one of our teachers coming, our capable teachers next week. Uh, and by that time, Brother Bob will probably be back in the rotation. So Brother Bob can grab his spot back. But I, I so appreciate getting the time. Maybe every now and then I, I tap somebody and see if they let me. Let me get in the game <laughs> so I can I, I can do a few classes, too. But this is this has been wonderful. I've, I've so enjoyed this and I pray to God that you got something from it and that you hear my heart, my heart. And if you're listening online, is not to tear another ministry down. I want every ministry healthy. I want every ministry big and overflowing and with no more room. I don't mind ministries having nice things, but I want us to keep the main thing, the main thing. So no matter what size ministry they walk in, they get the same service. They find the same God and the same power. God, we thank you. I thank you for those people that are online right now. I thank you for the people that are in this building, that you've allowed us to be here. And I pray that everybody under the sound of my voice has gotten what they need. Thank you, God, for allowing me to be your willing servant. 
as imperfect as I am. Thank you for putting your perfect word through. And I pray that the enemy not be able to use any any devices to try to deter from the message that you were trying to give. And I pray that that is received with gladness and with joy. Uh, Lord God, we thank you for that. Build us up, edify us to be the hospital uh, that you are seeking for your loss. Help us to reach the lost, teach the found, and change the world. And Father, if there's somebody online that does not know Christ, God, I pray right now that through these teachings, they will be intrigued and want to know you better. Help this stream to go forward on all the platforms that it's on. And thank you for what you are doing individually in this ministry, in our individual and collective lives. Thank you for, for the young lady I won't name out loud, but that person who's given a heart to Christ. God, thank you for that. Uh, it blesses my soul. Uh, and I'm, I'm so grateful for them and, and look to see what God is going to do in their lives in this church and in the kingdom. And for the, all those who've given their lives recently, we give you praise and thanks. And now I declare in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you are blessed in the city. You are blessed in the field, blessed when you come and when you go. And wherever the sole of your foot shall try, shall be blessed in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray. And the people of God said, amen. Yeah. Clap your hands and give God some praise.